engaging Peter, and he says, listen, you guys, Peter, uh, I'm building my church. I'm building a church. And the word church to them is that Greek word, ekklesia. And it's where we get our, our English term, ecclesiastical. And it, may, it has to do with, with religious matters. But in their culture, the ecclesia of a city was the, the assembly of the city that ran all the affairs of the city. In other words, it was the people in the city that had the influence. They were the ones that, if it was going to happen in the city, it didn't happen unless they wanted it to happen or unless they made it happen. Now, most of the time we look at the church and we think, well, we're not that. Whatever we are, we're not that. But that's what God says the church is meant to be. And so the, the church, Jesus then, you know, everything he taught was about this new community that God was forming in the world. And it was a part of the world, but it was also separate from the world in certain senses. And so it, it, if you want to think about the church and where we're going to, where we're going to take this today, Jesus said that there's a, there's a gathered expression of the church, then there's a scattered expression of the church. So last week we talked about the scattered expression, the mission that God's on a mission, and, and he's calling us to join him on his mission. And the church that Jesus is building, as we saw last week, it's a church that joins him in his mission. I don't know what it is, what a group of people are, if they don't join God in his mission, but I'm not sure that that's a church. And then secondly, that, that scattered people are also a gathered people. And people who are part of this ecclesia that Jesus is building in the world, all about through history, they take gathering together to worship him seriously. So that's, what, that's sort of the topic I want to explore today is that the church that Jesus is building takes gathering together to worship him seriously. Now, uh, if, if you have a Bible with you, or if you don't, there's uh, under the chair seat in front of you, there is a paperback Bible. Isaiah chapter 6, it's on page 479 in that paperback Bible. If you turn there with me and just track along, we're going to read eight verses. And it's, a, it's sort of one of these really famous stories in the Old Testament. And it, it's, a, it's a picture of what can happen when someone takes worship seriously. So I'm going to start reading in verse 1. And the story is going to happen in a very specific time, in a very specific place in the history of Israel. And you might not know much about it. I'm not going to go far into the background. But, but some of what was going on there is important for you to, I think, to get some meaning out of what he's saying here. So... It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I, that's Isaiah, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. So the context of this vision is the temple. He's in the temple. 
Now, I want, I want to stop right there for a second, because in the temple, Israel at this point, King Uzziah ruled about 50 years. And during this time, Israel was very prosperous. Incredible prosperity, just like, you know, maybe not, it wasn't touching everybody like prosperity isn't touching everybody in the United States. But, you know, this week, again, the stock market indicators all hit their highest. Unemployment's getting lower and lower. There's, there's certain kinds of things that are happening in the United States in terms of economics. It's not perfect, but it's, 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 there's a lot of prosperity in our country. There was a lot of prosperity in Israel during that time. The, uh, it was also a really proud, powerful time in Israel's history. They were like, we're on our game. You know, we are the big kid on the block. Nobody at this point was really troubling them. Israel was riding high. But it was, it was, it, there were two things about Israel at this, or three things about Israel at this time that play into this, that speak to us. It was growing morally corrupt. Its religious faith was getting more and more superficial. And the the nation was, was kind of coming unglued in the sense that it was becoming more and more uh, divided. Haves and have-nots, you know, men and women, rich and poor. All, there's all these divisions that were starting, the cracks were starting to show. So, feel familiar? Seem like, wow. Uh, history does repeat itself in many respects. And during this time, this young Isaiah most likely experienced this as a young man, maybe in his late teens, early 20s. And he went into the temple in a time when the temple was, you know, the temple observance was superficial. It wasn't something that was part of most people's lives. It's it's like, uh, I have a friend who was raised Buddhist, and he says, you know, if they ask me what I am, I say Buddhist, but he says, I have no idea what, what that meant. My parents were Buddhists and their parents were Buddhists, but, you know, it's not a part of my life. That's the way a lot of faith in Israel. Now, you'd think, well, yeah, but they were like cruising along. It seemed like God was blessing them. Not, not really. You can be doing really well and not be blessed by God in the best sense of the word, okay? So you can have a nice bank account. You can be healthy. You can have everything going your way, and it doesn't mean that that your life is pleasing to God. But Israel had this sense. They had connected material prosperity and the blessing of God. And so they managed to, through effort and and some acumen, they were doing pretty well. And they mistakenly concluded, well, that's because God's on our side. But they were corrupt inside. And this young man, Isaiah, he goes in the temple and he's going through worship as as it was, they were required to, and he has his vision. Okay? And in starting at verse 4, it says, the sound of their voices, these angels, the sound of their voices shook everything, and the temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah says, woe is me. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs, and the word seraph in Hebrew means burning one. 
And this is the only time that seraphs are mentioned in the Bible. But one of these angels, these living creatures like John in Revelation, it says he saw, when he had a vision of God, he saw this vision of God, and there was all kinds of living creatures, spiritual beings, you know, around God, and they were all doing what, interestingly, Isaiah saw everyone around the throne doing. Except when John saw it in Revelation, he said, I saw elders and people and thousands of tens of thousands of angels and you know, people from every tribe and tongue and nation worshiping God. Well, at this point, that wasn't happening with all the tribes and tongues and nations yet. But Isaiah says, uh, one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips and your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. So now it goes into the message he's supposed to preach. Now, Isaiah is in the, the, the temple of the Lord. It's this time of affluence. And everybody, but nobody's really living out real faith. But Isaiah, he goes into the temple, and he begins to worship, and he's surprised. God shows up. So the temple is the place that Israel had built. God said, build this place for my name, and I'll be there. And wherever you are, if you pray towards that place, I'll hear your prayers. And the temple had uh, worship and how to approach God, all architecturally hardwired into it. The way it was designed, every aspect of it was to help people from when you walked towards the temple to when you approached it and engaged in worship. It helped you to connect with God. So Isaiah, he sees the Lord. Now I want you to look, look at back at verse uh, 1. It says, follow with me. It says, I saw the Lord... Seated on a throne, high and exalted. So kings would create thrones that, that elevated them above everyone else. And it was, they were trying to, to heighten something. They were trying to say, you know, to send this signal, I'm the guy that's in control. And he's talking about King Uzziah. And in, and in Jerusalem, there was a, an area where the king's throne was, and all the official business went there. What? Isaiah sees is there's a throne that's higher than that throne and that God is sitting on it, the Lord Almighty. And the word Almighty meant the Lord of hosts, the, the one who's, who's, you know, a, a king was only powerful if he had a big army behind him. And the Lord, the Lord Almighty was the one who was the God above all gods because he had the most power. And so the, he sees that and he says his train, and it was a picture of the character and glory of God because the king's robe was supposed to be a picture of his character and his wisdom and his skill. And, you know, this person that you should respect. Well, Isaiah saw the king, and he was wearing this robe, but the robe completely filled the temple. And the robe was, was God's nature and being that was extending out. That you could, that, that you could encounter him. His glory. And sometimes in the Old Testament, you would... God would show up and, and, and smoke would fill everything. It was a, not smoke like it would burn your eyes smoke. It was smoke, the presence of God. And so Isaiah saw this. And he saw these seraphs. And the seraphs, there were these angels. And it said they had six wings, which is pretty interesting, you know, picture. 
And it says that they, they took two of their wings and they covered their faces. And they took two wings and covered their feet, and then two of the wings were flying, and they were, they were circling around God, and they were crying out about God, holy, holy, holy. And, and the Jewish people knew what holy meant. It was a word that meant God is exalted. He's, he's above everything else. He's unlike anyone or anything. And to Hebrews, when you said a word twice, you would say it twice in grammar to intensify it. So there are phrases where you'll see, uh, they'll say uh, gold, gold. And it meant the purest gold. They didn't repeat things three times. And when they repeated things three times, like this, for Isaiah to do this, it's this it takes something and intensifies it to the nth infinite degree. God isn't just holy. He's unimaginably holy. And Isaiah encountered this, and the angels that were circling around God, they were so in awe of God, it says they covered their faces. They couldn't even look at God. Because the, the, the experience of God's glory was enough that that's the only way they could tolerate being in God's presence was to not look. Angels, right? Which we are taught are these, the purest of, of beings. They're not morally tainted and corrupted like us. And they couldn't be in God's presence without not looking at him. But they, as they declared God's praise, it says the smoke filled the temple and their voices were so uh, awesome that it shook the temple. So Isaiah felt the temple shaking. And the, the, the stones of the temple in Jerusalem, were many of them were hundreds of tons. There were these huge stones that they built everything with. It was as solid as you could ever imagine a building being. And he's saying that the the, the magnitude of this person that they worshipped, and now imagine Isaiah is seeing this, and there's all these people around him who are going through their religious activities in these perfunctory ways. And Isaiah is seeing the one who's there and how they're worshiping him. And, he, all, and, and it's really easy when you're in any kind of situation in life. You know, if you have some self-awareness and you're looking at other people and you think, look at these knuckleheads. Man, don't they, like, look, don't they know who is here? Look at them. They're just going through the motions. And you would think that would be what Isaiah would do in that moment, but he didn't. Because the, the truth is, when you see the Lord, you see yourself in a different light. And immediately, Isaiah, whose business is this, it's talking, he sees himself in a different light. And he says, woe is me. And when you, when you hear the word, woe is me, that, that was an Old Testament word that said, you're under judgment. It, you're a mess, and you're under God's judgment. And he... This young man, who probably had some you know, serious spiritual inclinations, he didn't look at other people and judge them. He saw himself in light of God's glory. And he said, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. 
And he was just busted right there. He just fell, fell apart, became undone. You remember, uh, we've, we've, I've taught through this passage many times, but when Peter was in the boat with Jesus and Jesus said, hey, Peter, throw your nets out for a catch. Peter said, you know, hey, I, we worked all night. We didn't catch anything, but okay. Which side of the boat do you want us to throw the net on? Uh, throw it on this side. Okay, yeah, that's going to make a big difference. He throws it on that side. They pull the net in. There's so many fish in the net, the boat starts sinking. And it says, Peter falls on his face and says, Lord, depart from me, for I'm a wicked man, just like Isaiah. In that moment, it's like you're in the boat with Jesus. He looks just like this ordinary Jewish teacher. That happens, and, and it, like a little curtain goes, closes again. And in that moment, the curtain opens and closes. Peter sees Jesus and goes, oh, on the bottom of the boat. I'm a wicked man. You, if, if you have never had that kind of a moment, you have to ask yourself, how much have I ever really seen God as he is? Have I ever seen Jesus that way? Because you think, okay, that's God's like that, but Jesus is a sweet dude. Everybody likes him and gets along with him. I mean, Jesus is cool. He's hip. Nobody would, would act like that around Jesus. Oh, no. That's, that's what he was doing was he was putting God on display. Now, he's, at this moment, he sees his corruption happened to Peter, happened to Paul, all these people, the stories, and then just some, I've had it happen to me multiple times. This is the heart of what God wants, is he wants us to see him. And that's why Jesus said, if you want to see the Father, look at me. And seeing God like this is the heart of what Christianity is about. Because what it did there for him for this young man was, it, reca- it morally recalibrated his life. Now, every time he saw him, it happened again and again and again at a deeper and deeper level. But if you don't see the Lord, it doesn't change you. In fact, one of the sad things about not seeing Jesus regularly is when you hear teaching, even good teaching, even spirit-empowered teaching, over and over and over, and you don't see Jesus through it, it just hardens you, And it makes you like a Pharisee. It makes you judgmental of other people. But if you encounter Jesus through his word on a regular basis, and you take gathering together seriously, and I'll show you how to do that in a second, you're going to see Jesus, and it's going to make you a better person, not a worse person. Because the worst people in the world are religious people. They have just enough truth to make them judgmental. They don't have enough truth to humble them. And you know, the the word humble, our English word, is derived from this Latin word, which means of the earth. And when you're humble, you're more in touch with your humanity and your your weakness and your earthiness than other people are. And Jesus, encountering God and encountering Jesus makes you more humble if it happens over and over and over. So, Peter, I mean, uh, Isaiah, he experienced on top of that this deep forgiveness from God. So here he is, oh God, I'm a mess, you know, I don't deserve to be close to you. And the seraphs come, they go to the altar, which is where sacrifices were made. It's this picture of sacrifice. And they go and they pull out one of the tongs, the coals from underneath it, which would have been covered in blood and 
fat and stuff, and, and he takes one and they touch his lips. It's a picture of what forgiveness does. It, it, it takes this deep guilt away from us that we carry. It's the only thing that can take it away. All our efforts at, at moral improvement cannot take away guilt. They can't, they can't free us. And that's what happened there. And then on top of that, he, the, he says, uh, one of the seraphs, oh, sorry. Then I heard the voice of the Lord in verse 8 saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. And the Lord says, Go, and I'll stop there. All of a sudden, this purpose, when you see the Lord, you, you begin to see yourself the way God sees you. You, be, you begin to be able to experience forgiveness and freedom at a, at a level deeper than you ever thought possible. And you begin to find a purpose in your life. God begins to pull out of your life and get you in touch with what you're made for. And Isaiah just went for it. And this was the book. This is the most, the book of Isaiah is the most quoted book in the New Testament. That this young guy who saw the Lord had an experience that changed everything. And it shaped everything he said. I mean, scholars who write about Isaiah's book say it bears all the marks of someone who saw God. That all he talked about was shaped by this experience. So the, the lesson is, if we'll see Jesus and everything will start changing if we take gathered worship. Because that's where this happened. That was the context of this. Other people didn't see the Lord the way Isaiah did, but he was there to be seen. Well, at least you don't know if anyone else saw the Lord the way Isaiah did. Here's the key question. Can these bones live? One of the other prophets looked at a graveyard, and, and I, 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 I've had people ask me, is our church going to make it? Our church isn't as big as it used to be. And I said, oh yeah, this is the Lord, it's the Lord's church, it's the Lord's, you know, people come to the Lord here all the time, believe it or not. I'll tell you a funny story, and and it's not because of us, obviously, we, you know, I just spilled Pepsi on the floor again. People walk in here into our church, and it's the way Americans are, and they go like, they look down, they go, hmm, you know, and I go, hey, we don't have money for that. We had money for this, this would already be new carpet. But a, a, a few weeks back, or a few months back, uh, one Sunday when I was teaching, I just noticed this lady, you know, it was a new lady, she's just crying. Oh, you know, I don't know what's going on. I, I, you know, I see her a couple of weeks and never see her again. And uh, one week, I hope I haven't told this story. Have I told this story before? Okay, good. I told it a couple of times and I'm getting to the point where I don't remember where I told things, so sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for reminding me of that. <laughs> that seems the one thing I don't re- keep forgetting. So, uh, Mel calls me one day and says, John, there's a guy here from Vineyard Columbus, and he's, he's, uh, he wants to, to, to videotape in our, in our auditorium. He wants permission to videotape in here. I go, do you know why he wants it? And she goes, no. I go, well, we'll find out. And sure, you know, let them, whatever they want to do. I'm thinking, why do they want to? You know, they got, they, got, they got a mega church over there, like a mall. What do they need our little building for? And I, you know, 
let him do it, you know. So anyway, he comes back and tells Mel, he said, oh, well, here's what's going on. Uh, we're doing baptisms, and a lady got saved here at your church, and she has family and friends over there. So she's getting baptized at Vineyard Columbus. And, and he goes, and I go, uh, Mel, so what was that about? Anyway, the story I got back was, it was this lady I saw crying, and she was driving up and down the street. She's not like a church-going person. She, she, she uh, drives you know, up and down every road regularly, and she kept thinking, I got to go in that church. I don't, like she was drawn into it. We had a, ch- a lady once who came to the church who said she saw an aura over our church, and she said it was the most powerful aura she ever saw, and she just had to come in here. She told me that, and I said, I've never had anybody tell me that before. We have an aura. Well, that's cool. She goes, yeah, and I, you know, like I have crystals and all these things, but I've never seen anything like this. So she hung around for a few months, and she, she started following Jesus. But this lady kept driving by it and thinking, I've got to go in there. I've got to go in there. And she came in, met Christ in the middle of one of my teachings. Imagine that. But that's happened for 30 plus years. And it's not have anything to do with us. It's about Jesus. And so I want to tell you, these bones can live. But these bones can't live unless we see Jesus. And we're not going to see Jesus unless we start taking gathered worship more seriously than we do. And I really am reluctant to talk about this because actually people have told me John, when you talk about this, you're feathering your own cap. This is about, you know, the vineyard and trying to get it. And I go, and so I back off and go, okay. And I, I just, you know, I, I, I felt so pushed of the Lord to talk about this. i got to challenge you guys about this. It, it, we are a scattered and gathered people. The church has always been called to those two rhythms. We gather and we scatter on the mission. We gather to remember and celebrate God, and we scatter. That's supposed to be our rhythm. That is not the rhythm of the American church, and it's not the rhythm to a large degree of our church. So there's three things. And Oh, Jay, I, I, underneath your notebook there, I, I gave you something I want to encourage you guys to just track along with me. It's just going to take a second. Pass those out. And I want you to stick this on your mirror or on your... Uh, refrigerator, somewhere where you see this all the time. If you want to take gathered worship seriously, I think you have to do three things. And they all have to do with the the letter P, just so you can remember it. You need to prioritize gathered worship. Now, why should I prioritize gathered worship? Because it's part of your identity. We are so focused on our identity in Christ. Me and Jesus. Your identity in Christ is meaningless except it's in a, in a community. Everyone knows I have spiritual gifts, but they're gifts like a body functions. Jesus is calling an ecclesia out from the other city to become this Destiny-shaping community. We talked about this during the election, so I won't belabor that. Now, here's the thing. If you, don't prior- if you prioritize gathered worship, please stop making this thing we do about you. Do you understand? 
Oh, the coffee wasn't warm enough. They sang too long. They sang out the tune. John is nasal. The, the person next to me were talking. You know, uh, the chairs have stains on them. The, the, the room's too warm. The room's too cold. Listen, I hear that every week. There are people fanning themselves here right now, and there's people with shawls on. I don't know what to do. <laughs> it's a real hard place to be. <laughs> when you get emails, could you cool the room off? <laughs> could you warm the room up every week? It doesn't matter if it's spring, summer, fall, or winter. <laughs> and I'm not saying that you shouldn't ask that kind of question, but we are hardwired as Americans, to make everything about us. When Isaiah walked into that temple and he saw the Lord, he realized it's all about him. And if, if you don't prioritize a time in your life, at least one time, once a week, you get together and it's not about you, <laughs> then you're just going to keep getting screwed into, deeper into self-centeredness. We have to come together at least once a week and have our, by seeing the Lord, have ourselves recalibrated. So, simple application. If it's your identity, if it's going to be your identity, you have to resist making it about you. Remember in, remember in the, the movie, the Gladiator movie, the, it's called Gladiator, where a, after this, <laughs> yeah, a, so, the, it, uh, the gladiators, he fights the whole scene, and then he looks around, and he's really, he's really uh, mad at all the people, and he says, are you not entertained, you know? I didn't say it as well as he did, obviously. <laughs> but you guys don't know how often you come in here and you're like a crowd in the Roman Colosseum. And because you've been marketed to all day long, 24-7, and told you're the, you should be the center of the world, and you're not. And Israel at this time was unraveling because everyone wanted to be the center. And Isaiah saw the Lord and he realized, he's the center this king that's kind of kept it all together, he's dying. But it doesn't matter because he's the king. And his life was like, whoop. his perspective was changed. But if you don't prioritize it, you're not going to see the Lord regularly on your own. You're just not. You just won't. The world's a swamp. So show up regularly Please hear me with, I'm going to say this with a smile on my face. Show up early. Show up early. Stop treating the worship part like a warm-up to a message. When we sing, we are doing what the seraphs are doing. They're declaring around the throne God's attributes and His goodness and His mercies and His love they're blessing him. In fact, let me, let me read a, uh, William Temple. This famous, I have this written inside my Bible, the cover of my Bible. Worship is the submission of all of our nature to God. 
It's the quickening of conscience by His holiness, the nourishment of mind by His truth, the purifying of imagination by His beauty, the opening of the heart to His love, and the submission of will to His purpose. And all this gathered up in adoration is the greatest of human expressions of which we're capable. Show up regularly and show up early and show up with other people. And it's not about the vineyard. It's about Jesus. We have been a place where the cloud has been here for years. And, and I, don't, I, I think there's, a, there's wisps of smoke here right now. But even wisps of smoke are life-changing. But the Lord wants a people who take gathering together to worship him seriously because they see he's the center. I need to know that. I need to feed off that. I need it to change me. I need it to quicken me. And it won't happen without intention. So it has to have a, a, be a priority in your life. And let, let me remind you something. Anything that you prioritize is in your schedule. Try to treat gathered worship like you treat work. I mean, try to treat work like you treat gathered worship. It doesn't work, does it? Anything that's important to you is a part of your schedule. Second, prepare for gathered worship. Cultivate, cultivate anticipation that God will show up and show off. Cultivate that anticipation. Pray before you show up. Pray and say, God, would you meet me? Would you meet us? There's people here, men and women, brothers and sisters, who are down right now. Would you meet us so they walk out with, with everything that they need? Because again, when you're coming, you're not just coming about yourself. You want to pray to meet God for yourself and for other people. And please, turn off your phones. Leave them in your car. I promise you know, the news feed will be there for you when you get out in the car. But this is one of the things. I, I want to show you at the end. Distraction is one of the biggest enemies that we face. And we're all, we're all prone to it. It's, it's the temptation of our age. It is. Not noticing. Not listening. Not paying attention. Being distracted. That's what being entertained is. Third, embrace the practices of gathered worship. Now, these are six. I'm not going to, you guys know all these. I'll just read them. Singing, praying, confessing, giving, listening to the word, serving others in the power of the Spirit. These practices have characterized the people of God for not just centuries, thousands of years. This is what happened in the temple in Isaiah's day. It's what happened, happens in humble house churches in big cathedrals, in huge mega-mall churches. These are the practices of gathered worship. But let me tell you something. These are all practices of the heart. They're not practices of the head. They're practices of the heart. And just to try to tie it together, there's a parable that Jesus taught that's, Kind of the most familiar parable, I think, for most people in church. It's this parable of the soils. 
How many of you have heard that before? Jesus talks about a sower sowing seed. Raise your hands. Just hold them up so I can say, okay, good. Let me show you how it applies to this. The seed is the word. It's the promise of God. It's, it's, it's like it, it has this power in it. And Jesus says, the sower comes along and he sows the seed on different kinds of soil. Four different kinds of soil. Four different kinds of heart. One kind of soil was hard. The hard heart. The second kind of soil was the shallow heart. The seed fell, it sprang up, but it didn't have deep roots. The third kind of soil was soil that was divided. There was other kinds of plants in there and weeds that choked off the word. And it didn't bear fruit. Even though it sprang up, those things choked it off. Then the fourth kind was the good soil. The good heart, the open heart, the vulnerable heart. I take it back. It it isn't the good heart. It's the heart that's hungry and soft. So it contrasts the hard soil that when the seed hits it, birds snatch the word and it doesn't bear fruit. So there's this resistance to it. And over here, there's just this openness to it. Now Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the losers. Blessed are the people who don't have it together. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst, for they will be satisfied. It doesn't say they're good people. Do you understand that? It doesn't say they're morally upright people. It just says they're hungry and open and humble. These are the people who are hard. You could say it this way. They're full. They don't know what they really need. They're dining on something that fills them up and their hearts are hard. Now, how many, which one of those kinds of soils are you? The soil that hears the word and gets really excited and goes for it and then, because the soil's shallow, the soil's hard, that you hear the word and you walk out of here and you never think about it again. Because honestly, it's not anything about me, Jay, Rick, Maggie, whoever might be teaching here, the same responses are registered as Jesus described in that parable. Every Sunday, there are people who walk away and it's like they didn't hear anything because their hearts are hard and they're full. Then there's people that walk away, yes, I love this, and then, you know, because their hearts are shallow. The word doesn't really bear fruit. It grows for a while and then withers. Then there's, when the, it grows again, the word, but then the love of other things and other priorities and distractions just choke it off. And then there's people who are just humble and hungry and their hearts open. And it says they bring forth fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. So this whole gathered worship thing is, is about heart issues. Prioritizing is about your heart. Preparing is about your heart, and practices are about your heart. And you can choose, if you want to see Jesus, and you want him to to impact your life and begin to change everything on a consistent basis, it's up to you. 
You're the only ones that, that have any power to make this be different. But I, I believe these bones can live. I believe these bones can live. I believe that about every community. But they don't live when we're gathered together without this kind of attitude where you take what we do seriously. You prioritize it, you prepare for it, and you engage in these practices. And I wrestle with how to end this because I, I don't want to scold you. I, I want to invite you to something that God has for us, that he's just no respecter of persons. He isn't. He's just no respecter of persons. The soil, the humble soil, the so- soil of dirt is dirt, isn't it? <laughs> That's the good thing about this parable. Dirt is dirt. Dirt doesn't have to have anything other than just be dirt and just receive the word. And then everything starts changing because the power is in the seed. The life is in the seed. The life is in God himself, and in his son Jesus, he's a seed. And when we receive the word about him, it explodes in our lives. And I don't think there's, I don't know everybody all that well, well enough to know this, but there's probably not anybody in here who hasn't experienced that at some time, some point. And I just want to ask you, do you want this to be something you experience at least once a week. And if you're experiencing this at least once a week, it's going to start becoming a reality to you day in and day out in between those gathered times. And so when you're the scattered people of God, you begin to carry that identity and that sense of his presence because he is the king out there as much as he's the king when we're gathered. And the people around us need to know there's when King Uzziah is dying and everyone's going, oh my gosh, King Uzziah, he's the guy that held us all together. It was his wisdom and his skill, his leadership. And somebody's got to say, no, 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 no. There's another king on a throne way higher than that guy's throne. And I know it. And you want to, you know, watch, watch my life. Watch these people I know. We, we'll show you that there's another king. But we're not convinced with that. And we just get sucked into all the stuff that people are sucked into around us. And we get lost. And when King Uzziah is dying... It just shakes us. Oh, no. You know, oh, 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 no. That's not our legacy. The people of God, that's not our legacy. It's not your legacy. It's not your birthright. It's not your inheritance. So, Jason, will you come up again? We're just going to close and, and sing and pray. And what I want